Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. This is episode five. I'm Stuart McNish, your host. And in this episode, we have Anne McMillan of UDI and Michael Geller, an adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. Today, we were supposed to be talking about the industrial land crisis in Greater Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. That discussion has been shifted to next week because yesterday, the government of British Columbia delivered a budget that suggests, despite its best efforts to tax the real estate market, market into submission, prices are going to rise and housing starts are going to fall, and dramatically. However, just before we start, I want to let you know about a couple of other podcasts worth your time. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to know and need to know about the Vancouver Canucks. News, rumors, and of course, theories. And for all of you taxpayers, you'll want to tune in to In the House, hosted by two of BC's top journalists covering the ledge, Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. Listen in on Apple Podcasts, VancouverSun.com, and TheProvince.com, where Mike and Rob break down the latest in Victoria on how your government is spending your money. And that, of course, brings me to today's show. Joining me now is Anne McMullen, the President and CEO of the Urban Development Institute, followed by Michael Geller, who I mentioned is an adjunct professor at the Centre for Sustainable Development. And the topic is the efforts, or as some would say, the misguided efforts of the provincial government to make housing affordable in BC and the Lower Mainland in particular. And you were there at the budget lockup. Uh, what was your reaction after you read it? Now, not as a general, but it specifically related to how are they doing anything that's going to address our affordability issues with real estate, particularly here in the Southwest Coast? It was disappointing. Last year, they came out, they talked about this 30-point plan, this whole host of demand-side measures, taxes, really trying to punish the industry, try to bring down prices. And we were somewhat hopeful, although we hadn't been given any indication of any hope, but we were hopeful that this government would take the opportunity to address what we call the supply side or address the opportunity to build more homes, a variety of homes, rental homes. They did nothing. They just stood up there and said, well, we've, you know, taxed the industry last year and now we're looking at a 30% drop in housing starts over the next number of years and did that with really out any concern or fear. And, and I said to a colleague of mine who works in the forest industry, I said, what if the government stood up and said that the forest industry is going to be down by 40% or 30% or the tech industry or the retail industry or anything like that? It would be, you know, catastrophic. catastrophic. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, this is a dramatic collapse of housing starts in British Columbia that we're going to be seeing. And we 
suspected it, we've predicted it, we've told the government that this is what's going to happen unless they start to address the issue of how do we build more rental homes, how do we build homes for the missing middle, how do we build a variety of housing types for all British Columbians. Well, it's my understanding that you've been talking to the government all year long and that you were hoping that they were listening. Did you see any of your suggestions in this budget? No, we didn't. And, you know, I have to give the government a little bit of credit. Over the last year, they brought in we talk, the speculation tax, which they now more properly name the vacancy tax, uh, the school tax, the additional property transfer tax, in addition to the foreign buyers tax. All these um, supposedly to address these you know, satellite families or these high-end expensive homes. But what it did was those taxes applied to any land that is residential zone. So the vast majority of those taxes are going to apply to lands that are slated for development to build build homes, to build rental homes. So the cost of building has just gone up. It makes right. it less affordable. So we said unless we get a relaxation of those taxes on those lands that are set aside to build more homes, we will not be able to build homes that people can afford, and then we will stop building. And that was the warning well, that we well, gave and, them. And that was the reaction, that they, that they plan to see uh, a dramatic drop in the number of starts. And at the same time, did they not say, and we expect housing prices to go up? Wasn't the whole objective to bring housing prices down? Yes. But, you know, you can bring housing prices down, but if you still got people moving here every year, that is a very temporary fix. I don't disagree that you do need to perhaps bring in some demand-side measures, but the other side, we've got to look at the other side of the equation. We've got to be building more homes, building more rental homes. By taxing the, the homes and land so much that it makes it impossible to build does not build more rental homes. It does not improve the vacancy rate. It just constrains the marketplace. It just constrains the number of homes that are available. So if you make it far too expensive to build, how can we build the 115,000 rental homes that they have promised, promised uh, committed to over the next 10 years? Uh, you know, they talk about, well, 17,000 social housing units are in the works. Well, more than half of those are already in the works before the NDP government came into power. But that is a far cry from what we need to do. And, you know, the minister also mentioned, I think one of the uh, one of the Vancouver Sun columnists asked the minister, said, you know, sure, we want to see the social housing, and you're talking about social housing, you're making an investment in social housing, that's great, and that's good, but it's taking an awful long time. And her response on two or three occasions was, well, yes, that's the problem. It takes a long time. We keep saying that. We need to fix this. It shouldn't take three and four years to get an approval for social housing, rental housing, and then two or three years to build. You're going to tell the homeless person or the person that's forced to live in their car or students that have five people in a basement suite, you need to wait three or four years, and there's nothing we can do about it to get an approval, and then you're going to wait another two to three years to build it, and hang on, we meant we're not even sure if we can do it that quickly. We wanted to see something in the budget. Now, the, the uh, provincial government has said that they want to work on the what they call the processing times, approval times, but they've also said we want to be hands-off. I think the municipalities are saying we need some help. Is it incentives? Is it tax incentives? Do we fast-track rental? You know, we all need to work together, and there was nothing in the budget that addressed that. Well, it's my understanding that uh, Vancouver City Mayor Kennedy Stewart was saying that he was hoping to see something in the budget that would, that would move things forward. Now, I find that a little bit ironic because it 
does he not and do the do not the cities have the ability to actually affect the speed at which applications are processed much more so than the provincial government well they do and i would also give credit to kennedy stewart I, i've met with him uh, the, the new mayor of the city of vancouver and i think he really is trying to be a uh, you know get things done and recognizes that there are issues within his own municipality but i think also within other municipalities and can mayors all work together and sort of put their you know their sort of home base aside and say how do we do this as a region how do we build as a region and build around the kind of transportation infrastructure investments that the province are making so i'm quite impressed that there's that he has that regional approach um, but again um, we they need incentives as well you know if we want to build rental we need things like pst exemptions on building materials we need the federal government to look at gst rebate uh, we do need to look at um, there's certain things that the province has brought in around building code and things like that so it is all three levels of government working together so no matter what even if the mayor of Vancouver increased this, the um, approval times, we still got all these taxes and fees and charges that have been downloaded uh, recently from the province. So one thing that you and I have talked about in the past is why not tie transit funding and planning to increase density? And that is something that I think that the provincial government and Minister Selena Robinson, to her credit, has said, yes, uh, we, you know, I also control the purse strings on transit. I can leverage that and say, you want this transit? line well you have to change the zoning around about around that route because we you know we have transit routes that are woefully underutilized absolutely i agree and i think a lot of mayors around the region would agree with that some may not they just want more buses and they don't want to actually increase the number of homes that are built along those transit lines but absolutely absolutely so i think that yes the uh, mayors and councils have a, a, a certain enormous amount of power but um you know in these major infrastructure investments it does you know, it is up to the municipality, but the municipalities are also, you know, sort of, um, they've got people perhaps in the communities that are against it. But if they can sort of lean on the provincial government and say, look, we're not going to get these transit investments unless we accommodate and build what is necessary around them, then perhaps you might get a bit more public support. Mm -hmm. Are you concerned? Because I don't know if you saw the news that Amazon has walked away from Long Island. They were going to have 25,000 people work at their Q2 or headquarters too. Uh, and two to 3,000 of those people who are going to work there are now going to be uh, reallocated to Vancouver. What is that going to do to put additional pressure on the housing? Because these are going to be well-paid people who are going to come here. They're going to put additional pressure onto the market. What then are we going to be able to, how are we going to be able to address this sudden influx of, of more people over the next five to seven years? Well, I think that if you asked Amazon, they would have the same concern, that the people that they employ are well-paid and they want to live and near where they work. You know, there's certain areas, I mean, I don't want to get into two technicalities, but, you know, the False Creek Flats, that could have been zoned rental only. We could have built there, but it was, you know, the way it was zoned. So I think we need to be much more creative about um, how we build, where we build, and what we build. Um, and to sort of cut off areas, say, like the False Creek Flats, that you can very, build very limited amount of housing. You know, th that was an old policy. Mm -hmm. Even four or five years ago, like technology, things change very, very rapidly. You know, who would have thought four or five years ago that Amazon would be looking to move into Vancouver? So we need to change how we do things and, and look at our land base and make better use of it. I think that 
if we're, you know, if we're looking at a 30% drop in housing starts, and yet we're getting, you know, what is it, 500,000 500, jobs that they want to create over the next 10 years. Uh, we have 140,000 students and temporary foreign workers coming here. To, you know, it's part of our uh, of our economy. We're just not accounting for it. People say, well, we're building enough homes for, for the current um, uh, immigration, but we're not accounting for it. Like I said, the students, temporary foreign workers, you know, there's 140,000 of them. You know, this is a growing region. And, you know, when people say, well, it's not a supply issue, well, it's, we don't have enough homes. I and mean, we've got a rental, our rental vacancy rate is next to zero. So right. less than 1%. I don't yeah. think those are empty homes. No, they're not. So it's very interesting. Now, of course, one of the other issues that came out in the budget is that there is a focus on uh, the development of modular uh, temporary housing for people who find themselves in very difficult situation. I think we all applaud of that. Of course. But did you look at the budget figures around that? Well, they're high, you know, and we're not, that's not the business that we are in. And I don't want to be, uh, you know, but I just think that people do need to ask questions about how much does it cost? Um, and can you do, not that we shouldn't do it because it's too expensive, but can we do it more efficiently? You know, I am a huge proponent that we need of, of modular housing for social housing because it actually sort of frees up other housing along the continuum. So that is very critical and that's what governments should be doing. But they also need to look at incentives as we've just talked about for a home, rental homes, for the middle income, for the, you know, and even, you know, people say, well, we, sh those, we shouldn't build those condos or those uh, rental because they're high end. Well, what happens is it's the sort of people who are living in what you might call the, the middle income rental move out of those and go into the higher end. So you've got to create a complete mix. You can't just focus on the social housing or the low income. You've got to be doing all of it. And, um, you know, like I said, is uh, the private sector does a very good job uh, of, of creating efficiencies. Um, usually governments are not very good at being in the business of of housing, but um, I think the most important thing is is that is getting done. But I do think we need to be careful when you look at the numbers. So just before we wrap up, what were your top three items that you were recommending to the government that you believed would help stimulate uh, the market to, uh, in the development of affordable housing, and in particular in the development of uh, well, affordable the, rental certainly housing? Certainly, the biggest one was rental. Uh, we were looking at relaxation of the PST on building materials. Uh, that there was no rent control on new purpose-built rental for at least 25 years. Those were two really big ones. Um, and then uh, really looking at can the government um, have more impact in on the uh, issue of processing times with the municipalities. So by creating incentives. That's right, by yeah. creating incentives. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see. And I'd love to have you back in the future. Indeed. Th thanks for coming in and doing this. Okay. We'll be right back with Michael Geller. <laughs> Joining me now is architect adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University, builder, developer, city planner, and knower of all things about real estate, Michael Geller. Michael, um, this year in the budget, the provincial government didn't do a whole lot to focus on the real estate market, but they were doing things that compounded a number of the issues uh, that were there last year. One of the things that I noticed is that they increased the transfer tax by 2% on homes over $3 million. And that's just one of the things that I, that I picked up on there. What did you find? What's your reaction to, to the budget from yesterday? Well, last year, we were all quite upset with the budget because, indeed, there were many initiatives related mm -hmm. to housing, a lot of tax initiatives. This year, many of the tax initiatives that the development community was asking for and others simply weren't there. 
And uh, the real concern is a, a number that was buried in the budget, which most people haven't noticed, although Vaughn Palmer picked it up in today's Vancouver Sun, and that is the government is predicting that housing starts will decrease by 30% yeah. by the next election from the time the last election took place. And that's only four years, uh, if it goes as according to schedule. And, and as I was thinking about chatting to you today, I wanted to declare I'm not here as a partisan uh, spokesperson for any one political party. Indeed, as mm -hmm. I reflect on my life, I've had far more contact and success working with the NDP government than the Liberal government or the Socrates. So I'm not here to sort of criticize the government because of which party it happens to be. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that the confidence in the development community is really dropping, not just from the condo developers, but from those who build rental housing. And yet it's the government that really wants to see 114,000 new units being built, many of which must be purpose-built rental and social housing. Well, how are we going to do that based on the tax structure that has been uh, used to beat up the real estate market to supposedly make it more affordable? It's, it's often what has happened is, are effectively unintended consequences. The government put in place last year taxes on homes or properties valued over $3 million. And many people said, fine, if you own a house that's worth $3 million or more, so you're going to pay a bit more tax big deal. But what has happened is someone who's building rental housing on a property that's worth more than $3 million is now subject to these additional property taxes, these additional property transfer taxes, and either you pass them on to the future renter, or if you don't think you can pass them on, then you simply don't build the rental housing. And that's the concern that I have and I think a lot of people should have. Let's not feel sorry for developers. We don't need to. But we should look at these unintended consequences. And the, mm -hmm. the development community did ask the government to at least modify some of those tax uh, taxes that were imposed last year so that they're not having these unintended consequences, and they didn't. And people are disappointed. You know, one of the other points that I was just thinking about that you talked about, yes, uh, housing starts were going to drop by 30 percent, but isn't the government also predicting that housing prices, the thing that they wanted to control, were going to rise? Yes, and that surprised us, although they did manage to uh, reduce their expectations on the revenue they're going to get from all of those property purchase taxes. But remember, this is the government that a year ago, and I don't want to sound cheeky, but they projected $200 million of revenues from, from one of the taxes. Mm -hmm. And then they modified the tax, but they said the revenue will remain the same as $200 million. And everybody said, how can that be? You're you're reducing the number of, well, they said there was room in that initial estimate. I think a lot of people have lost confidence in these, in these projections. I hope they're wrong about the number of housing starts because we need a lot more housing starts, especially social housing and rental housing. But not just that. You know, I was just reading that Amazon, their second headquarters in Long Island, they have walked away from that and they're going to take Two two thousand to twenty five hundred of those twenty five thousand jobs that were going to be existing there, and they're coming to Vancouver. Like they're already coming in with a significant uh, new workforce, which is going to put pressure on the housing market because these are people who are going to be paid 
money, real money, and can afford to live in Vancouver, well, what's that going to do to this market? If, uh, if the handcuffs are on everywhere, where's the development going to come to supply the need for everybody else? So let's talk about how to get rid of those handcuffs. Okay. One of the things that was talked about, uh, I brought along a copy of last year's budget, that 30-point plan. Yes. Although I didn't like some of the taxes, I actually liked a number of the measures in this document. I think they actually are a benefit to a lot of people. On the surface, let's also remember that they are the provincial government and land use decisions are made at the local level. But that's where I'm heading because one of the things that was set out in this document and which has been referenced as early, as late as today in today's Vancouver son mm -hmm. when Kennedy Stewart said he was pleased to hear in the throne speech that the government was going to talk about initiatives that would m somehow encourage municipalities to speed up the approval process. Now, as you quite rightly point out, it's in the municipality domain mm -hmm. to determine how quickly uh, approvals are granted. But one thing I would like to see, and I think others would as well, is even though the budget was yesterday, we now have another year until next year's budget. It so happens that TransLink, which has a lot of money and which has the potential to do a lot of good in terms of transit infrastructure improvements, road improvements, is under the same minister as the housing ministry, Selena Robinson. And I'm hoping that what we're going to see is the province in a very gentle but clear way say to municipalities, we have money to make available to improve transit, but to our mind, affordable housing and transit go together. Mm -hmm. And if you want to see some of these dollars, then we need to see you not follow the lead of the District of North Vancouver that in one of its early acts turned down a very worthwhile nonprofit rental housing project with a seniors component. We want to see you move forward in a much bolder way, recognizing on one hand the population says we need more affordable housing, mm -hmm. while at the same time saying we don't want it in our neighborhood. It has to go into their neighborhood. So I had Selena Robinson in here a couple of shows ago, and we talked about that very thing, and she said yes, she was going. that is one of the things that she can utilize to leverage a bit of influence over the way that things are developed. The question is, actually doing it well, and having the impact. She is doing it. Yeah. I'm going to give her credit. So you really are nonpartisan. Good One thing yes. she did is uh, she's hired away Kay Krishna. Kay Krishna from the city of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Now it's, I think, a bad news for a lot of people in Vancouver, but good news for the rest of the province because she demonstrated that she got it. Mm -hmm. She was the one who coined the notion of a, a, a nexus lane for people who know what they're doing so they don't have to wait and line up just like people do at the border. Mm -hmm. They can go straight through if they've got a clean record and, and so forth. And she proposed that for the city of Vancouver, and it's slowly starting to happen. Mm -hmm. But I think she may well be able to do a lot under the provincial umbrella to encourage a lot of these other municipalities to become a little more creative and a little more forceful in improving uh, projects. Because the one thing we didn't talk about in the budget yesterday is there's a lot of money already vested with BC Housing to build social housing and support affordable rental. The money actually is there, but 
at the moment, it's taking too long to get the the, the approvals to build those homes. Mm -hmm. And this is, uh, you know, there's a tendency at times to talk about these issues as though they're only relevant to the city of Vancouver, but they're not. The entire lower mainland and now out into the Fraser Valley are experiencing these same issues. Uh, this concept of like uh, planning departments being overworked, facing the number of development permits or uh, applications that, uh, that are underway is bogging everybody down. We just had the mayor from Mission in this morning who was saying the volume of, of uh, permit applications or applications is through the roof and they are having to be creative because they're expecting that their population is going to double in the next 30 years. And the other thing is a lot of people who are watching this and who read the newspapers and they hear the developers complain, they think, well, it's just the developer's problem. It's not the developer's problem. It's the people looking for new rental housing, for new affordable condominiums, people who are looking for older housing. All of this, all eventually, it's the consumer who's hit by it. And if the developers don't feel confident enough to start new projects, and a lot of them right now are putting projects on the back burner. Or walking away from some of them. Walking away and saying it will wait a few years. Mm -hmm. and Or will not exercise that option. And uh, I think it's very unfortunate because it's not the developers who are, yes, the developers are going to suffer, but it's all those drywallers and carpenters and all the other people who build the projects, as well as all the people who sell furniture and so forth. All of those people are impacted when the development industry slows down, and that's what's happening. So the move at the city level and at the provincial level was to say, we want to make housing affordable. When they were talking about that, where they were talking about the runaway prices, uh, escalating prices on housing. Now the conversation seems to have forgotten about that and is shifting to, well, we got to have affordable rental. Based on what has happened over the last couple of budgets, do you think that we're actually making housing more affordable when you consider ownership and rental in the southwest part of British Columbia? Well, when you increase the property transfer tax on a development site by a couple of points, when you then add increase the annual property taxes that you're paying on that, as you add on all of these taxes, it's hard to understand how that reduces the cost of housing. And then when you couple in the fact that there's an expectation that housing starts are going to drop, and the population is going to continue to grow, will there not then still be upward pressure on prices? Yeah, there will be. The, the one good thing that some people are projecting is that we may see some softening of construction costs. And that would be a good thing mm -hmm. to the extent that it, it makes some projects a little more viable. But at the same time, we're also seeing interest rates. Well, they have been rising. I think the consensus now is they're going to stabilize at least for the next year. But, but when you wrap all these things together, plus the uncertainty, and one thing that is very much in the provincial domain is what's that rental housing review panel going to come forward with? Mm -hmm. Because there's a number of things that are being advocated, you know, longer-term rent freezes, uh, any unit that is renovated, it has to be uh, rented back at the same rent as before, or worse still, if somebody vacates a unit, that the rent cannot increase on that unit even though it's empty. And again, people would say, well, surely that's a good idea. No, it's uh, not a good idea. No, it's not. It's not a good idea because it takes away the incentive for people to renovate and maintain these older rental buildings. And the average age of rental apartments in the Lower Mainland is pretty close to our age. Or right. 
at least my age. You're much younger. And, and so if they're not maintained, then they will deteriorate. Uh, and when that happens, everybody loses because you don't have access to good housing. The, 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 again, the underlying term, I think, is unintended consequences. So a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. You know, you sure, who wants to see people out on the street because they can't afford rent increases? I, I think we all understand that. I mean, that's one aspect of the budget. I was pleased to see that the modular housing, which you and I have talked about before, uh, the idea of setting up modular units, which may be permanent or more likely relocated, they're funding 200 more of those. That's great for some homeless people, but that's not really making the dent we need to in the number of people looking for accommodation. Okay, well, you've just touched on the topic that I'm going into with Ann McMullen from UDI about the, the modular housing and the cost of that. Did you see that they're uh, devoting $291 million to 2,000 units on free land? Well, based on 250 square feet of, of housing, it works out to about $580 a square foot, which is way above market. Well, it's that would be a Combination. I'm going to defend it, as you know, because it was my thesis uh, <laughs> and uh, promoted this in 2008. There's no doubt that the cost of those modular units, when you add in the construction costs and some of the soft costs, are not significantly lower. And I think you, th those numbers are a bit misleading. They're not necessarily lower than permanent housing. Mm -hmm. But what you are doing is you're eliminating or have the potential to eliminate the land cost. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you can do is because they're seen as being temporary, you don't have to go through a three-year approval process. You get to go through a three-month approval process. Well, And maybe that is the benefit. But the cost that's associated, I, you know, what's that triangle? Uh, cheap, fast quality well pick two and maybe we're getting you know fast and i don't know maybe even quality uh i don't know but i want to go back to one other thing that you said before i wrap up here you said that maybe what's happening in the market is helping helping to soften construction costs how how does that work uh, because i'm sure somebody would, would go what what are you talking about well because there's no doubt that with the amount of development activity that was taking place we're getting low on the number of workers. And if you were trying to build on the North Shore and the workers were coming from Langley or Abbotsford and Chilliwack yeah. and they didn't want to have to wait for those bridges, the cost of building in North Vancouver or West Vancouver was even, even greater. So as the number of projects reduces, as long as the workers don't all return to Alberta or go to Ontario Quebec, then I think you could see some softening of the labor costs. It doesn't impact the material costs, but right. it does impact it. So it's a maybe. It may, it's a maybe. Well, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in this very, very... Uh, I don't even quite know what the right word is for, to describe the Vancouver market now. It's something that has been mixed up and does not seem to have a clear direction from what I can see. It's an overpriced market. And the answer is not to keep bringing in new taxes. It really is to increase the supply, especially the right supply. And I think the province and the various municipalities can do something together. And uh, let's hope a year from now the picture is a little more optimistic than it is today. Thanks. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next time when we dig into Vancouver's industrial land crisis, a crisis that could have a dramatic impact on the economy and jobs.
I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. Now, just before I go, I'd like to encourage you once again to tune into In the House with Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. And if you're a fan of the Canucks or merely just interested in the team, join Paul Chapman for White Towel, available on Apple Podcasts, VancouverSun.com, and TheProvince.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.